ladies, you're many times naturally gifted in discipleship. Putting people, you know, uh, pulling people in, creating community, teaching as you go. And so, especially if you have children. And so today, it's just so fitting that we're talking about this topic of discipleship on this very special day. Today is week three and our final week in our series on discipleship, which is called This is the Way. And this morning, we have the privilege of talking about one more aspect of discipleship. We've discussed one aspect of discipleship each week and how it is so good to have all three of these aspects at work in our lives at all times if we really want to see discipleship taking place around us. And in order for us to be able to see disciples that are making disciples that are making disciples. In the first week, we talked about the aspect of discipleship where we, where we asked this question, who is discipling you? We, we talked about that first aspect of being discipled. And then last week, we talked about this side-by-side kind of component of, of discipleship. And we asked the question, who, who's helping you live the sanctified life? Who's helping you live the holy life that God wants to live? Who's, who's helping keep you accountable and keeping you in check in that way? And then this morning, we come to the final aspect, the final question of discipleship, which is, who are, who are you discipling? Who are you pouring into? And I can think of no better passage that spells this out for us We've probably heard it many times, but it's the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And so go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew 28, 16 through 20. But as you do so, I want to share several things with you first. Now, by the, time we, by the time we get to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18, you have to realize that Jesus has just spent at least three years with his disciples He's been pouring into them. He's been teaching them everything that they needed to know about how to live the Christian life and how to live it well. And what, I mean, whether they knew it or not, that's what he was doing. He had been discipling them. Just read the Gospels and you will see, you'll see this. But they still thought that Jesus was going to be with them for a lot longer and that he was just starting uh, his kingdom, and, and that he was going to have a lot of time left with them. So the fact that literally what we're going to read this morning is the la- one of the last things that he says to them and one of the last things that's recorded by Jesus before he surprises them yet again and ascends back into heaven right in front of their very eyes, you better believe that they were not only surprised, but they because it was one of the last things he said that they would have kind of sat up and taken notes and, and really leaned in and said, okay, this is important. So the first surprise, though, what I want you to see is the first surprise is that he died. They had no, I mean, we know, because we, we've read the Bible, we've been walking a long time, it's not a surprise to us, but they didn't see this coming. And now he's about to knock them off their feet again and give them another surprise. He was leaving. He was going back to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. And he was never going to see them again in human form until his second coming. 
you can see Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. But, like, but take, that, take that in, okay? We know it's coming. Like I said, we've read the, if you've been around the, the Christianity for a while, read the Bible for a while, you know this story. You know it's coming, so it's not a surprise to you. But the disciples, like, they, this is happening to them in real time, and they had no idea that it was coming. And I'm sure that they were probably not ready for it. <laughs> and probably left them with many different emotions, and like their stomach was up in their throats, or that their stomach was in knots. But, but Jesus, Jesus knew that they were ready for it. Now on top of Jesus pouring into them and teaching the now 11 disciples, because Judas was no longer alive at this point. Now, do you see how, yes, they had Jesus pouring into them, so they had this inlet, right? They had someone who was discipling them, but they also had this side-by-side or lake component of, of discipleship at work in their lives. They had each other. They had the 12 of each other, right? Now 11, but they were, they were there for one another. They were able to help each other live this holy life this sanctified life that we talked about last week. They had each other to help keep accountable to living the Christian life. And they're, I mean, they were going to need each other in this transition of Jesus leaving because as we're getting ready to read in our passage today, when they first saw Jesus after his resurrection, it says some of them doubted. What we learned last week is that we need help when we go through these times and when we need to ask hard questions, we have to be able to have people in our lives that we can go to and ask hard questions because it's important for us to know that there's going to be times in our Christian life where we doubt. Okay, I want you to hear this. Jesus never said that we would not doubt. And Jesus never said that we couldn't doubt. In fact, doubt is actually a very healthy part of our Christian faith and journey as long as we bring our doubts to God and we bring our doubts to each other and we talk about them. Okay, don't be surprised. We're going to doubt at certain times in our Christian journey, but God wants us to bring those doubts into the light. And through those doubts, we can learn and we can grow in our faith and in our belief in him. But if we keep those doubts a secret and we just never talk about them and just try to pretend like everything's okay, then we can never grow in our faith. We need those discipling us. We need those who are side by side with us to help us work through our doubts, to help make us stronger and more mature in our faith. The disciples had to work through this too, and this is a good thing. But now, now we get to today's passage, beginning in Matthew 28, 16, and Jesus presents his disciples with a third and final aspect of discipleship that we're talking about in this series. He tells them to find somebody else to disciple. So read this passage with me, and let's take it in together. It says, when the 11 disciples went to Galilee, or then, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, right after they, they knew that Jesus had risen back to life, he, he resurrected, uh, and 
they went to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when he, they saw him, they worshipped him. It says, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, verse 18, I'm not sure if you caught this, but Jesus first assures the disciples and us of his authority and his power. And since this passage uh, and the very rest of the Bible makes it very clear that the Lord, our Lord and Savior, has all power and all authority in heaven and on earth, then we should listen to what he's about to say as well as adhere to his command and live it out. And in verses 19 and 20, we get the commission. We get this command from Jesus. It says, he says, as you're going, as you're going, as you're living life, make disciples of all nations. So this just means as you live life, wherever Jesus places you, wherever he sends you, find people around you that are eager to learn, that you can disciple and grow in their Christian faith and their relationship with Jesus. And he gives them two ways to do that. One, by baptizing them, and we're, our roots are Baptist, so we, can, we get excited about this one sometimes. But number two, by teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. But who does Jesus say that we are to teach all of this to? He says all people, all nations, not just people that are like us, not just people that we're comfortable with. Now, some are called by Jesus to cross cultural lines and to become missionaries and to go fulfill the Great Commission in other countries. And they find others to disciple while they're on mission, being missionaries for Jesus. But th this does not leave the rest of us off the hook. We can all make disciples of all nations here, right where we live. But what tends to happen, whether we mean to or not, the longer that we've been a Christian, and not just here at Grace Point, but everywhere, what happens is that people, we naturally begin to hang out with like people. And before we know it, five or ten years later, we look around, and either, and one, maybe we, we don't even really know too many non-Christian people, because everyone that we hang out with is Christian. Or, and two, uh, since we people, like myself included, we like to have a tendency to hang around people that are like us, just the way that we are, and most churches reflect this, we aren't usually hanging out with anyone that's different ethnically than us, that is a different nation than us, as the Great Commission puts it. But we have to take something into consideration. Did you know that over the last 20 years especially, the Pacific Northwest, 
has been growing in ethnic diversity. People of different ethnicities have been moving to the Tigard area uh, and the Portland area for jobs and for other reasons. And therefore, racial diversity has been growing in the city of Tigard, as well as the greater Portland metropolitan area. Now, I did some looking into it, and I found that in Tigard, roughly 25% of the population is something other than white. One in four. Now, this is beginning to be a pretty substantial number. And in most, get this, in most other cities around us, like there's a lot of other cities around us too uh, than Tigard, the number is actually bigger than this, than one in four. So here's a question I have though for us. What are people being met with when they come here? And keep in mind, this isn't a, even a matter of us having to go anywhere, right? All these different ethnicities are coming to us. But I think a really good question for us to consider is what are we doing to connect with these people? What are we doing to help bring Christ to them and to be discipling all nations, like the passage commands us to do? And I think this is a really good question for us to ask. And if our, if our church gathering Sunday mornings and sh who shows up here on any given Sunday is not reflecting our community, ethnically speaking, it should possibly be something that we lean in and ask some questions about. I mean, it, isn't this a legitimate point? If Jesus were to come into our church and give us a rating at how we're doing at bringing Jesus to all nations, what kind of a rating would he give us? And I don't know. I don't know the answer, but it's at least a question that we should be processing, that should, we should be looking at and trying to see how we can grow in. As Craig S. Keener says, and I quote, many, many, if many Christians today have lost a sense of Jesus's presence and purpose among us, it, it, it may be because we have lost sight of the mission our Lord has given us. If we would be his disciples, then we must prepare the way for our Lord's second coming and his kingdom, as John the Baptist did for his first coming. If we truly long for our Lord's return, our mission is laid out before us until he comes. End quote. If it's our desire to live out the Great Commission, as Matthew 28, 18 through 20 lays out for us, then we must be about finding people that we can disciple, possibly even somebody that's different than us, that we can help grow up in their faith and learn everything they need to know about Jesus to where they would get to the place where they can say, who can I disciple? One paradigm shift for me in the discipleship process that I want to share with you because it changed for me where discipleship begins is this discipleship includes evangelism and like i said this was a huge paradigm shift for me because discipleship doesn't just start when somebody becomes a believer and needs to be taught how to live the christian life that may be when somebody gets introduced to you and where your discipleship journey with that specific person begins 
but never underestimate how sharing your faith with somebody that doesn't know Jesus yet actually impacts the, the discipleship process or is a part of you discipling that person. Now, something that God wants us to take into, into thinking about and helping them grow is about, yes, how to live the Christian life, but it's also really important for us to be able to know how to go about sharing our faith with other people so that when we run into people who don't yet know Jesus, we can begin to share with them how to become a Christian, which is a part of the discipleship process. But it's also good for us to make sure that we're dis we are, yes, discipling people that already know Jesus, who already are saying, yes, I want to learn how to live the Christian life and that are really wanting to learn how to practice that. Now, I get this. Not everybody has the gift of evangelism. But just because we don't have the gift of evangelism doesn't mean that we necessarily don't have to evangelize. It just means that there are different people out there who are gifted in it that can help us grow in being discipled in our understanding of evangelism but we're still called to evangelize. But when a person gets to the point of accepting Jesus and wanting to live the Christian life, we can many times reach this million-dollar question that can many times make us pretty anxious. And the question is, what do we disciple them in? Like, what content do we cover with somebody when discipling them? What did Jesus mean when he said, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, as he says in the Great Commission? I mean, obviously, there's, there's no one book, there's no one format or way to do it, but there are topics that are good to cover with people when we're discipling them. And over the years of being a Christian and being discipled by many, by many people, uh, I've picked up along the way many different things that are important to, to cover and to include as you're discipling someone else. Therefore, I want to take a chunk of our time this morning and unpack for you a number of, of those things that are good for you to include when you're trying to disciple someone else. Uh, any which of that could be important when you're trying to help bring somebody else up in the ways of Jesus and disciple them. And if you miss any of this list, feel free to email the church at any time, or feel free to email me, uh, and we can get you a copy of the, this list of everything that we've discussed today. But up front, know that this, this list is not exhaustive. It doesn't include everything, nor is it meant to be something that you need to live and die by. Uh, so hear me, though. It's also not a list of topics that you have to cover in full with every single person that you disciple. Because I want you to know this, discipleship is a lifelong process, and God will help each person learn each th thing on this list when they need to learn it. Another thing, nor, nor do I want, you, I want you to know that this list is not in order of importance. 
Okay, so don't think it's like, oh, he's telling me the importance of which things first, second, third to cover with them. I'm not saying that either. It is only a resource and a list that's been helpful for me. And for those of you that like lists, like me, this may be of some benefit to you, uh, for those that you're discipling. Especially if you're wondering, what, ty what type of co topics am I supposed to cover with, some, with the person that I'm discipling? So here's the list, okay? And this is going to take a little bit of time because there's quite a few things on here. But once someone believes in Jesus as their Savior and Lord, number one, as it says in the Great Commission, share with them the meaning of baptism and help them get baptized. Share with them that baptism is Jesus washing us clean from our sin and wrongdoing, and that baptism is about us showing others that we want to live for Jesus, and that when we go under that water, we're dying to ourselves and our way of living, and when we raise back out of the water, we're saying, I'm going to live fully and wholeheartedly for him. Jesus also modeled baptism for us because he was baptized. And so baptism is the moment in their faith journey that they're, that they're never going to forget. It's a moment that they will be able to look back on and remember for the rest of their lives that they made a decision in front of other believers to follow Jesus. And that's Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Number two, get them attending Sunday services regularly, as well as maybe attending a life group or a Bible study um, and attending church events, or just basically what I'm trying to say is help them understand the importance of including authentic community in their lives. We all need authentic Christian community in our lives if we're going to live the Christian life well. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Number three, help the person that you're discipling have a basic outline of the Bible, or at least help them understand the Bible in a, in a nutshell, like, and, and then encourage them as they're, what I mean by Bible in a nutshell, just understand, like, the basic understanding of how the Bible works, and, like, what's included in the Bible, and that way that when they're reading it, it can hopefully make sense to them, because a lot of times we don't read the Bible because it's just, it's hard to understand, but if you can break it down for them and help them understand what the Bible means, it's going to be helpful for them. And then encourage them to read the entire Bible and be there to answer questions for them along the way. Psalm 119, 105. Uh, the best prayer that you can teach somebody to pray as they're, as they're reading the Bible each time they begin to read the Bible is, Lord, show me what you want me to see as I read the Bible today and help me to know how to put it into practice. Number four, teach them how to pray. This is Matthew 6, 9 through 15. Teach them how to pray, and how prayer is talking to God, but it's also listening to God. And prayer is an, a very important part of us having a relationship with God, and us learning how to grow that relationship with Him. Number five, Teach the person that you're discipling how to passionately worship God in each and, area, in each and every area of their lives and how to put him 
first in everything because he deserves first place in our lives. This is Romans 12, 1 and 2, Matthew 6, 33. Number six, help them learn and be able to explain to others the foundations of their faith. Things like, who's God? Who's Jesus? Who's the Holy Spirit? Who's the Trinity? What is sin and salvation? What is, what is the church? What is Christ's second coming? And, and what are heaven and hell? This is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. But the more we can help, not only help people understand the foundations of the faith, but also how to explain it to other people, we're setting them up for success, but also those that they will disciple as well. Number seven, help the person that you're discipling understand the importance of memorizing scripture. This is Psalm 119.11. And begin to memorize some scripture with them. Now, for me, I saw scripture really being so important in a couple of ways. One was when I was trying to overcome sin in my life. Because when I, me when I memorized those scriptures and then I started to be tempted, I could quote those scriptures. And there's power in God's word. Another thing was when I went out to talk to people about Jesus, all of a sudden I would just be talking and God would reveal to me like a scripture that, that I had memorized that could then be inserted into that situation. And it was like God was partnering with me because I had memorized scripture. And it's a very important thing to do as we grow up in our faith. Number eight, help the people you're discipling develop spiritual disciplines in their life and help them grow and that those these spiritual disciplines that help them grow and thrive uh first timothy 4 7 and 8 these are dis spiritual disciplines like study journaling silence and solitude thankfulness and gratefulness celebration sabbath fasting i mean the list the list goes on but helping them grow and developing their spirit spiritual disciplines in their life. Number nine, help them understand the Holy Spirit and how to listen to the Holy Spirit and how to hear from him. That's John chapter 10 verses 1 through 5 and, uh, and verses 25 through 30 in chapter 10 as well. But learning how to, to listen to, to God and, and how to hear from him. Number 10, help the people that you're discipling overcome and conquer sin in their life and the addictions in their life with God's power and with the help of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we have the amazing ability to not just be in bondage to our sin for the rest of our life, but to actually tap into the power that God gives us, his Holy Spirit, and be able to overcome those things in our life, not by our power, but miraculously, supernaturally, by the power that he gives. Number 11, help them develop Christ-like character. There's so many, but especially the fruit of the Spirit, but also integrity, honesty, trustworthiness, responsibility and reliability, humility, grace, generosity, hope, faith, perseverance, courage, compassion, godliness, the, the list just keeps going on. That's Galatians 5, 22 through 23 for the fruit of the Spirit. Number, number 12, and we talked about this last week, 
help them find accountability in their lives, as we, like I said, as we discussed last week, because you're not always going to be able to be there for that person filling this role in their lives. That's Proverbs 27, 17. Now also, number 13, helping the person you're discipling figure out their spiritual gifts and begin to use them. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through, 4 through 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 through 11, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. There are so many spiritual gifts, and this is where it gets exciting, is when you can start to figure out, how has God gifted me, and how does God want to use those gifts to build up his church? Number 14, help them understand the spiritual realm and spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Hear this. Your war is not against people, but against Satan and the spiritual realms. Because if you've not grown up in the church, you don't understand how there's an unseen spiritual world at work, and how angels and demons are at work, and how Satan is trying to stop us, and derail us, and discourage us, and, or distract us from accomplishing the things that God wants us to do for his kingdom. Number 15, help them learn the importance of tithing and faithful stewardship of their time, their talents, and their treasures. Malachi 3.10, Matthew 25.14-30, God is the one who has given us everything. And so, we need to learn the importance of giving a tenth back to him because it not only teaches us how to sacrifice and surrender and submit to him, but it also, somehow when we tithe, that ends up multiplying and ends up providing for us and blessing us in more ways than, than we could ever realize. I mean, just try and outgive God. Um, I've learned this principle very early in my Christian faith, and it's, it's been the biggest blessing. You cannot serve both God and money. Some people spend their whole lives trying to get the promotion, trying to make enough money, and they never feel like they have enough. They never feel like they have enough money, and they never feel like they, uh, they can get enough because money the, is their master. But when we surrender our money to God and when we give a tithe to him first and surrender to him in this way, it's amazing the freedom as well as the fruit that he brings about in our lives. Number 16, help the person you're discipling work out forgiveness in their lives with people in their past. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. This is so important, and so many times something that goes undone in people's lives forever, but it's a part of helping us grow up in our faith. Number 17, help them work through emotional hurts, habits, and hang-ups, or at least get them in touch with a counselor that can. Matthew chapter 11, verses 18 through, or 28 through 30, uh, you would be surprised how many people grow up spiritually, grow up physically, grow up mentally, relationally, financially, but emotionally, they're still infants. God wants to help us grow up emotionally 
and help us heal from our, ha our past wounds, our past traumas, our past abuses. And he wants to help us heal from the lies that we believe for ourselves and help us replace those lies with the truth about how he sees us. For me, this was that I was never good enough and that I was worthless. And I've had to realize those lies and I've had to begin speaking the truth over myself that I'm good enough and that I am worthy because of what Jesus did for me. Number 18, help the person you're discipling learn how to have a servant's heart and how to get out and serve others. And that when they're out serving others, to serve them as if they're serving the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. Number 19, help them develop their leadership skills and get involved in ministry or in their community. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, Hebrews 13, 7. There is something that's very important about helping people develop their leadership as they're growing in their relationship with God, whether it's in ministry or whether it's in the community, helping them fan that into flame and grow in their leadership. Number 20, help them, and we've got three more, help them develop a heart for missions and encourage them to possibly go on a mission trip. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Acts 1, 8. Man, I just had so many things that happened for me when I was on mission trips for Jesus, I thought, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to show up to the missions trip and I'm going to give back and there's so much I'm going to give. And I tell you what, in those, those countries that we went, uh, a lot of them were in Mexico, I ended up getting so much and growing so much because I went on those mission trips. And uh, it's a really good thing to encourage others to do. Uh, number 21, teach them how to, how to be sent out and how to evangelize. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. And then last, encourage them to read different Christian books on different topics that they need to grow in. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Now, on purpose, I have given you a lot to think about and consider because before we can be successful in discipling someone else, we need to know the topics to cover when we disciple somebody else. I've got a couple of application points for you, and then we're done this morning. Number one, have you been discipled in each of these areas that we've talked about this morning? And if not, would you be willing to reach out to someone that can help you in a few of these areas that you still need to be discipled in? Because we're probably going to be working on a lot of these areas for our entire lives. None of us is ever going to arrive, but we can always just be looking at what are one or two other of these areas that I can, that I can be discipled in? Which areas do you still need to maybe be discipled in? Number two, you do not have to be discipled in each of these areas before you begin to disciple someone else. Okay, don't be intimidated. God is going to use probably multiple people in a person's life in order to help them be discipled. Uh, just be faithful at playing your part and discipling someone in the ways that you can. 
Number three, you don't need to disciple everyone. Okay, you're not Jesus. It's okay to find somebody else to disciple somebody. If somebody comes to you and says, will you disciple me? And you already got one or two or maybe a handful of people that you're already discipling. It is okay to help people find somebody else that can disciple them. Number four, I skipped over this one earlier on purpose, but in our passage we discussed this morning, um, it also gives us a reminder of, of a promise that Jesus gives to us, that when we go out and make disciples, we're not doing it alone. The Holy Spirit is with us. Jesus says, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. He says that in the Great Commission. You have Jesus himself with you every step of the way, present and willing to help you as you disciple somebody else. And that's a really amazing thing. And last, listen here. If you're new to Christianity, um, it may be that you just, just find somebody to disciple you and to help you learn how to live the Christian life. But on the other hand, if you've been a Christian for a long time, uh, I just, I want to challenge you this morning. Who could you begin to disciple? If you're not already discipling somebody else, would you be willing to begin, just begin praying and saying, Lord, if you want me to disciple somebody, would you bring them to my attention? Would you show me who it is? And maybe possibly somebody that's, that's different than you. But two people to look for, okay? As you're praying and asking God to lead you to people to disciple. Number one, somebody here at Grace Point, at your church, that you could disciple. Maybe it starts with getting to know a younger family here at Grace Point or asking them if you can go out to dinner with them or if you can come over to their house or vice versa. But is there somebody maybe younger here at Grace Point or at least maybe younger in their faith that you could help disciple them or you could come alongside them and, and begin to disciple? Number two, the other person to look for Somebody in your sphere of influence outside of Grace Point that you could begin to disciple. This could be somebody, it could be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be a coworker, maybe a classmate at school. But who's somebody in your sphere of influence that you could begin to disciple? So as we close today, I want to remind us that these three aspects of discipleship that we've been talking about if they're all at play in our lives, we'll bring about disciples that make disciples that make disciples. So the challenge is to get after it and to get all three of these aspects of discipleship at work in your life. But I want to end by giving a word of encouragement to mothers this morning because you moms many times are the ones who, you're in the trenches. You're doing the work of discipleship day in and day out, and no one ever sees that you're doing it. No one ever usually gives you the compliments about how amazing of a job you're doing, and I understand it's not about that, but 
I want to make sure that you know this morning, I want to make sure you know that God sees you and that God is proud of you and that you're doing a good job at discipling your kids and a good job at discipling the next generation. I want you to know that. And I just want you to know to keep up the great work and thanks for all you do. So as we close not only this morning's message, but our series on discipleship, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for not only for this gift of discipleship that you've given us and you've called us to, uh, but just for this, this, uh, this education that you've been giving us on how to go about discipling. And Lord, thank you so much for moms and for the ways that they just do that so naturally. And I just pray that they would feel um, encouraged today and celebrated today and lifted up today um, that you see them. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us in this room that you would begin to show us the next steps that we can take and how to not only be discipled, but how to help disciple others so that your kingdom can come, your will will be done, so that hopefully one day, sooner than later, we can see you return. We love you, Lord, and we want to continue to worship you.